The scripture reading this morning is taken from John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34, and 35. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I read in USA Today this past week that there is a man here in our United States who is projected to become the world's first trillionaire. Despite popular opinion, it is not Jason Isbell or me. It is uh, the CEO of Amazon. Surprise. Take that man or someone like Bill Gates, put him in a time machine, set him down in a New Testament setting, and you have pretty much the account of the person that Jesus was describing in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following. You feel free to turn there. I want to walk through that account briefly with you this morning. The Bible says this was an incredibly prosperous businessman. And he wore the best clothes and he ate the best meals and he did without absolutely anything. And and there was a man, a guy lying at the very front of of his gated property who was just a a tramp, a, a hobo and And all that guy wanted was the leftovers from one of those fabulous meals that the fellow on the inside was always serving up. To add a graphic element to the account, Jesus says that the dogs came and licked that poor man's sores. And yet, despite his obvious distress, the man on the inside, who was rich, did nothing for him. As time went by, the account says that both men eventually died. It's strange, but the story says nothing about the funeral of either of those two men. All it says about the rich man's death was the rich man died also. But then something phenomenal happened. The beggar was carried by angels to Abraham's side in paradise. The rich man, the Bible says, died and lifted up his eyes in torment. I think it's incredibly ironic that that such opposites would completely change positions At the end of their lives, the rich man in this life became the poor man in eternity. The poor man in this life became the rich man in the world to come. The rich man there, when he lifted up his eyes in torment, the Bible says, was sorry then at that point for his neglect of his fellow human being. He asked for a second chance, but he was told that once a person dies, there is no second chance. He was told, in essence, you only go around once in life, you've got to get it right the first time. You know, when we began to evaluate what a person truly is worth, we almost without exception began to evaluate and measure people by material prosperity, don't we? That's always been the case, whether you're looking at Old New Testament or even in our own time. We have a tendency to want to measure success by visible things like health and wealth and position. But the Bible shows us that a man whom the world would declare a tremendous success, was in reality an abject failure. So the question I want to pose to you this morning, who really is successful? 
And the answer to that question, of course, depends upon whose dictionary you use. How do you define success? If you look in the dictionary, you'll find one definition. If you look in the Bible, you'll find another that may be completely different from what uh, Webster's or Wagner's says. So how do we measure success? What is the standard of, of real prosperity? If money is the measuring stick, then we have to also ask the follow-up question, how much money does it take to say that a man or a woman has been truly successful in life? I heard recently that if you make $200,000 a year, then you're in the top 1% of wage earners in America. So the question we then ask, does that mean that only 1% of us are successful? Does it follow that the more you have, the more successful you are? Well, people must think so. Because they go to great lengths to accumulate the status symbols. All the toys of the rich man. Or maybe it's position. It's position in life, the true measure of success. If you're the president or the firm or, uh, or, or the CEO of your company, does that make you successful? Is it titles? Is it, is it the fact that you are elected by popular vote? Is it education? Is it beauty, physical attractiveness? Or is it athletic ability? There are a lot of really successful people in our world today who really don't have a lot of money. They don't have a position of recognition. They don't have any of the things that we've just listed. So what is loud and clear is that these material things are not a proper measure of a person's success or prosperity. We know that because the Lord said so. In Luke 12 and verse 15, he said, A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. So we know it's not material possessions that indicates whether or not in God's eyes a person is successful or not. I want to submit for your consideration this morning that relationships are the only true measure of riches. And no, I'm not trying to preach a social gospel or any kind of relational sort of message here. Good relations, however, if we've looked at Scripture, are essential to true success and true riches. It's not our possessions, it's the interaction that we have with people. It's the value that we place on other people and that other people then in turn place on us. Money can't buy the love of a good man or a good woman. It can't secure friendship. It cannot buy for us loyalty or trust from another person. In fact, sometimes life and the Bible verifies that the more you have financially, the more it seems to undermine healthy relationships. It's the where there's a will, there's a lot of angry relatives sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about. So nothing can substitute for those good relationships. Relationships are the final measurement of life's worth. And I want to verify that by looking at God's word with you for a few minutes together this morning. So Americans... Because that is the case, because relationships are so very important, we look around us and we see Americans spending most of their time and their talent and their treasure trying to cultivate good relationships. Is that right or is that wrong? No, that's wrong. We're in hot pursuit of higher paying jobs. Never mind the hours, never mind the stress levels. The money is the thing, the paycheck more than compensates, or at least that's what we've told ourselves. And so we end up working overtime and moonlighting a second job. And we make more money, yes. But do we have more riches? Well, no. Often our happiness goes out the same window that the pursuit for more things came in. We neglect then the true measure of success. 
You know, there are other things in life that we give immediate attention to. If the car breaks down, we rush to the mechanic, and we may gulp when he tells us what the estimate for the job is, but we say, whatever it takes, I need the car or whatever, and go ahead and fix it. If my golf ball is slicing and always landing in a, in a sand trap, I may go hire a professional golfer to correct my swing. But you notice if, if a relationship is suffering, sometimes we do absolutely nothing at all about it. I've been surprised. In fact, I've been shocked at how many times I've talked to people who have troubled marriages. And if I say you need some professional counseling, well, how much does that cost? And I want to respond by saying, how much is your, is your marriage worth? It's like the two guys who claim to be bosom buddies. And one of them said, there's nothing in the world that we wouldn't do for, me, for each other. And that's exactly what we've been doing for each other for the past few years. Absolutely nothing. So it doesn't matter what you say. If the relationship clearly is not important to you, then the people who are close to you are going to know that. And and we understand that when it comes to approaching life the way God would have us to approach life, that our our emphasis, and again, there's nothing wrong with with having money. There's nothing wrong even with being rich. It's it's the inordinate pursuit of those things that, that God has says we need to be very careful that we regulate in our lives. And we can use those material possessions in a way that would honor God and that would help his kingdom to march forward. We understand that. And, and Paul talks about that at great length in First Timothy chapter 6. But if I find myself in a materialistic society pursuing those things to the neglect of the things that are most important in my life, then Jesus says, you've got value vertigo. You've got everything turned upside down. Here's what you really need to be focusing on. Let me mention four relationships that measure our success this morning. Number one, there's the relationship that you have with yourself. And you really do have a relationship. You have an attitude, a a perspective on yourself that's going to make a difference. Because if you don't have the right relationship with yourself, you don't have to be a psychologist to know this. It's going to be very difficult for you to have a right relationship with anyone else. So I'm talking about who you are in the present what you have been in the past, and also what you can be in the future. That's what I'm talking about. So when you're looking at your present self, you you can't brag about your color or your sex or your nationality. Have you ever thought about that? Those are not bragging points because you had absolutely nothing to do with any of those three things. No, you, you don't waste time wishing that you were someone else. You have to accept yourself. You have to recognize your limitations, but you also have to recognize what your strengths are. It's kind of like a sign that I saw one time that said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Well, that just makes sense. And so we've got to determine that we're going to be content and happy in our own skin. And we may wish that we were someone else, but we've got to stop that. We've got to recognize that God has given us certain gifts and abilities and talents. He has gifted us in unique ways. And there's something that you can do in this world for the name and for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ that nobody else can do quite like you can. That's why why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to help us to understand the fact that the diversity in the body of Christ really is a good thing. In fact, it's a wonderful thing. Because if we were all the same, if every one of us was just a replicant of everybody else, then there are a lot of things that couldn't get done in the work in the kingdom of Christ. So don't waste time wishing that you were someone else. 
That's the key to confidence and maturity, and it's also the key to real success. But then there's also the relationship that you have with your past, what you've done, where you've been. The difference, for example, between the apostles Peter and Judas, I think can be described and delineated by how they dealt with their pasts. Let me ask you this question. Which sin was worse? Was it the sin of Judas or of Peter? You know, Judas was the one who betrayed the Lord. But then Peter was the one who denied the Lord, denied even knowing him. And he did that three times. But, but it's what they did in response to those horrible actions that indicated what those men were going to become and whether they were going to be a success or a failure in life. You remember that Judas was filled with remorse and he went out and hanged himself. And the sad thing about suicide is that you don't have a chance to undo it and then learn from your past mistakes because you have eliminated your future. Suicide has been defined as, as the worst form of self-criticism, and I think that's exactly right. But the Bible says that Peter was also filled with remorse over having denied the Lord. It said he went outside the city gates and he wept bitterly. But notice the next thing that Peter did. The Bible says he came back to the master's side. And I remind you that it was Peter who preached the very first gospel sermon on Pentecost morning. It was Peter who took the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time in Acts the 10th chapter. Peter is the principal character in the first half of the book of Acts. And he, of course, is the author of two letters that bear his name. You've got, you've got to come to grips with your past. I imagine if we went around this room this morning and talked about things we had done, thoughts that we had uh, entertained, words that we had spoken, we would all feel embarrassed and ashamed about some of those things. But as one brother has observed, we would probably, if we began to compare temptations and sins, we would laugh at one another for our lack of originality. Because we've all made mistakes, and some of those mistakes are very similar. There's only so many ways, you know, that you can sin, and, and, and we know what those are, because God has told us in his, in his owner's manual. Every one of us has to deal with the checkered past. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to spend your time wallowing in guilt and self-pity because of the fact that you did these things that you know break the very heart of God? Or like Peter, are you going to come back and say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life demonstrating that I'm serious about living the way God would have me to live? And also to, to prove to him and to show to others that I am going to become the man or the woman that God would have me to be. It's not so much what's happened to you. It's your attitude and what you do about what has happened to you that's going to be the deciding factor in whether you truly are living a successful life. You also need to come to grips with your future. Believe in the outcome. Be positive about where it is that you're heading. You know, I love what the flight attendant says as we began our landing here at home. He or she says something along the lines of have a pleasant day in Montgomery or wherever your final destination may be. It may be that you're just laying over and you're going to continue your journey. But I like that terminology, whatever your final destination may be. It's nice to know, folks, that Montgomery, Alabama is not my final destination. It's just a stopping point on our way to heaven. Second, there's a relationship that you have with your family. 
Have you given it the proper priority in your agenda of life? How important is family to you? We have to ask that question when we're deciding whether or not we really are rich, whether or not we really are people of, of value. What, what kind of priority do you place on your family? Pour large doses of love and acceptance and forgiveness on your spouse and on your kids and on your parents. And you'll never regret it. Don't let any material thing become more important to you than a rich and a rewarding relationship with your family. Life is too short for us to sweat the unimportant stuff. Don't get so involved with making a, a living that you forget to make a life. Remember when you get so caught up in your job that the people that you really work for are back at home waiting for you. Third, there's a relationship that you have with other people. Not just yourself, not just your family, but with other people. Cultivate at least seven friends during your life. Someone has said you're going to need them when you die. You're going to need six to carry you and one to preach over you. And maybe that's true. Jess Lair, in his intriguingly entitled book, I Ain't Much Baby, But I'm All I've Got, that really is the title of the book, talks about his five closest friends. And and these friends, he says, are the kinds of friendships that you spend time and effort and money on. He says they're the kind of friends that you could call in the middle of the night and know that they would come running. And they would give you the shirts off their back. You would give them the shirt off your back. To have friends like that, Solomon says you've got to be a friend like that. Here it is, Proverbs 18.24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And so be the kind of person that other folks want to be friends with you. The relationship that you have with, with business associates is also important. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So give out large amounts of courtesy and fairness. Learn to go the second mile in your business dealings. Value everyone as a human being created in the image of God. I love the story that I think I've told here. It's been some time ago, so I'm going to share it with you again. About the man who had risen over the course of years to the very top of his business. He owned his business. He had literally hundreds of people working for him. He gathered some of the men and the women into his conference room to talk about the priorities and and, and the vision for the next year for that particular business. But he said, I want to remind you that even though our business is to make this particular commodity and then to sell it on the open market, we're still in the people business. And he says, sometimes I'm afraid that we've forgotten that, that our, our number one priority is to make sure that our customers stay happy, or at least that they have, they're contented with what they have bought from us and, and that we will service whatever it is that we sell. Let's never forget that we're in the people business. And while I'm on that subject, let me ask you the question, what was the name of the lady who just cleaned, cleaned this conference building and cleans your offices every day? Not a single hand went up. And he went on to talk about, again, how important it was that they placed their focus on people. And before he dismissed them, he said, by the way, her name is Mildred. Don't ever forget how important people are in our lives individually and collectively as the church. What are we in business for? It isn't just to gather here on a Sunday morning and sing the beautiful songs that we've sung, even though that's a wonderful perk. Our business is is people. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. 
And guess what? That's still our marching orders. It is still our responsibility and it is still our privilege to be able to carry the good news and to bring as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. And so our our relationships are, are just that important. We also have a relationship with the world around us. Maybe you don't think you need other people. Just just try doing business without them. Remember the golden rule. And it's not he who has the gold rules. It's doing to others as you would have them do unto you. According to Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. And then fourth, there is your relationship with God. I wanted to save that for the end. Because obviously that ought to predominate everything else it ought to be more important to us to have that kind of relationship with with God than than anybody else even our families we need to be working on our relationship with God let's go back to the story that we started at the beginning of this lesson the Bible says that the rich man did a great business and the world looked up to him I imagine that there were mothers who pointed to that man when he was out on the street And said to their sons, I would like for you to aspire to become just that kind of person. Had he lived in our day, no doubt he would have had his face on the cover of Time magazine or maybe even on Forbes magazine. He had everything. He had everything except the most important thing of all. He had no relationship with God. His plans for his life ended at the grave. And then we receive that explanation in Matthew chapter 12 that summarizes this wonderful account. Jesus says, so this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself and is not rich toward God. The title of this lesson should say it all in terms of the question that I have for each of us this morning. Are you rich? And don't think immediately about how much money you have in your bank account or how much you're carrying in your purse or in your wallet. That's a part of it. That's one measuring stick, certainly. But the most important measuring sticks for the child of God is the relationships that we have with God, with our family, and with other people around us. And let's make sure that when we leave this building that that stays our priority, that we make sure that we understand that the only The only instrument that God has, the only instrument that he planned for in carrying his saving message to the world is you and me. Hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets of Dallas that beautiful day. All eyes were on the impressive young man who was riding in the back of a Lincoln convertible. He was rich. He was powerful. He had the most prestigious job in America. And riding by his side was his beautiful wife. No doubt many in the crowd that day probably looked at that man riding in the back of that convertible and thought, you know, I would, I'd give anything to change places with that guy. And then a shot rang out from the Texas school book depository. And the only thing that mattered at that moment was how John F. Kennedy stood between him and God. I'm telling you this morning that if you're successful in these four relationships that we've talked about, you're rich. No matter what else that you may have or you may not have. And if you don't have these four things, then you're poor, no matter what else that you may possess. And the good news is there's time to build those relationships in your life, so I would encourage you to get going. But I also would remind you that you need to start with making your relationship with God right. And let me tell you how. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, when those people were touched 
by the power of the gospel is spoken through the apostles and Peter. Verse 37 says that they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? That is, what do we do to change this? How do we rectify this situation? Verse 38 gave Peter's inspired reply. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's our message to you this morning. You need to make sure before you walk out of this building today that your relationship with God is where God would have it to be. While we stand, while we sing. Dost thou count all things for Jesus but loss? Is thy heart right with God?